as you're turning back in your Bibles to John, we're going to be in John chapter 20. John chapter 20 today. The last couple weeks we've been studying again who is Jesus and in the complexity of who Jesus is and part of the confusion is, is the different layers of who Jesus is. Jesus as a man, Jesus as a servant, Jesus as, as the king, Jesus as the lamb. How can a king be a sacrificial lamb? Our king, our king did not come to, to be served, but to serve. Our king did not come to establish his, his throne on earth, but as we read earlier, his heavenly throne. And our king came the first time with a mission. And that mission was to save us from our sin. And so our king had a job to do, and that was to be the lamb. To make the ultimate sacrifice. See, Jesus doesn't ask you like, to die for him. There, there's no passage in here that says, die for me. Jesus does ask you to live for him, to live like him, to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Not take up your cross and die. Take up your cross and follow. Take up your cross and believe. Take up your cross and live. So today we want to see what Easter is really all about. Because Easter is not about just reciting the facts. Easter's not about just knowing the story. That, that's not what Easter is all about. Easter is all about you believing it. It has no meaning if, if you don't believe in it. And the question then is, do you believe? And, and I, I want you guys to understand, you know what? It's not an abnormal thing to not believe. We're, we're going to read about Jesus' closest followers, people who walked with Jesus for three and a half years, people who saw Jesus commit miracle after miracle, raise people from the dead, feed 5,000 people twice, heal the blind, the lame, the leper, walk on water, turn water into wine. They, they watched this for three and a half years, and yet their belief, got shaken. And so it's not abnormal to not believe. It's not abnormal to, to wonder about God coming down on earth, taking the form of a human and dying on the cross to pay for your sins. But, but, but that's the plan. But that's the truth. See, this isn't all that there is to our life. It's, it's not just this. There's more. There's an eternity of more. An eternity of more. We were talking this week at the men's study. And it's like, if, if you didn't believe that you go anywhere after you die, quite frankly, what are you doing? What are you, what are you doing here? If this is it, this is your life, just in this little tiny box. And some of you 
are getting closer to the end of that time. What are you doing with your time? Because this is it. (coughs) May I suggest you don't even believe that. That that you're living in a decorum of of morals and beliefs and that that says, well, I, I can't just live unrestrained, do whatever I want for tomorrow I die, because somewhere in the back of your mind you know Mm, there's something else. You just haven't quite put your finger on it. You haven't quite believed yet. You are still wondering. Well, we don't want you to wonder. But the fact is, you must believe. You must believe that, that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. You must believe that. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. All religions do not lead you to the same place. But by very definition, they don't lead you to the same place. Christianity is just one of the few that's honest and says we're the only way. You you can't follow a completely opposite ideological belief system and end up in the same place. With the same God. That's, that's foolish. We're just honest about it. We believe this is the one true and only way. There is only one God. One only. We learn that in the Old Testament. We learn that in Deuteronomy. And so picking the right God is essential. Well, in John 20, Jesus has been crucified. People watched the event. People saw the event. They saw him crucified. They saw him take his last breath. They saw him stabbed in the side. They saw him essentially mummified and wrapped and placed into a tomb to a point where you you couldn't unwrap yourself, okay? You couldn't move the, the big giant stone all by yourself. We know from other books in the Bible that there were actually Roman guards that were stationed at the tomb. Why? So that no one would come and take the body. Why? So that Jesus would not be made some kind of martyr. So that 2,000 years later, people wouldn't be worshiping him. So they put Roman guards. We're we're not talking about just, you know, dudes. We're we're talking about like like Navy SEALs. We're, We're talking about people who, if that... If, if, if that stone gets moved, if Jesus' body is not there, they die. They pay with their life. No, it's, it's no game. And so, on the first day of the week, John 21, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw that the stone already was taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and they were going to the tomb and, and, and the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the first tomb, the, to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. 
Simon Peter therefore also came following him and entered the tomb and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head not lying with the linen wrappings but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So we see this scene that that Jesus has died, he's been buried, and it's now the third day, and and, and Mary, and and we learn from, from Luke 24 that there were others with Mary. It wasn't just Mary. There were other women with Mary, not Jesus's disciples, not his right-hand men, not the, you know, the guys that were going to carry the baton. No. The women came. They came. In search of what? They, they, they clearly didn't have the understanding that Jesus was going to rise again. None of these people came with the hope that he wouldn't be there. How do we know this? Because they're shocked that he's not there. If they were going, hoping he's not there, then they would go and say, he's not there. Perfect. But you see Mary and they're like, where is he? As soon as he finds out, she, 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 she runs. Why? Something's wrong. Jesus is gone. They, they did something with the body. She runs. She's not praising God and thanking God because Jesus rose again. She's not thinking that way. As she's running, two disciples actually are on their way to the tomb. And, and so she runs into these guys and tells them, Peter and John, and says, Jesus' body isn't there. So what do they do? That can't be true. There's no way. They run the other way to the tomb. They've got to see for themselves, right? Can't believe Mary, who they know very well and know she would never lie about such a thing, but they can't believe it. They don't get it. They don't get we, we see again from verse 9, they don't understand the scripture. They don't understand when Jesus said, I will rise again. Then if you tear down the temple or rise again on the third day, they don't get it. So they run there to look to see with their own eyes. We see that when they come that in Mark 16, they were afraid. They were afraid. They were trembling. And then Mark 16 goes on to say that they left this scene. They left. They went home. Mystified. And so today we're going to ask ourselves the question, do we believe? In light of three, three things. One, Peter and John were mystified themselves. Peter and John were mystified. Number two, we're going to see that the disciples, the rest of the disciples, they were afraid. And then finally, number three, we're going to see Thomas definitely doubted. So they had their disbeliefs too. And we see this not only in John, but we see this in other books like Mark. And, And we see that they went home. They were mystified. They were confused. They were in fear. 
and they just it, it wasn't it wasn't full belief yet they just couldn't get it couldn't get their their minds their head their heart wrapped around it well then we see mary mary verse 11 but mary but mary was standing outside the tomb weeping and uh, and so she wept she stooped and looked into the tomb and she beheld two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of jesus had been lying and they said to her woman why are you weeping why are you weeping you should be celebrating. He made the shot. <laughs> you, you should be jumping up and down. He made the shot. He's not there. Well, why are you... Cr- and this isn't a, a celebration cry. This is a desperation weep, right? A confusion weep. Because in her mind, when when when... When she left, there was three seconds on the clock. There's no way they could win. So she just went away. Can't win this one. Why are you weeping? Because they have taken away. They. Who's they? Somebody must have taken them away. You had a big boulder. You had Roman soldiers. Somebody took him away. And I don't know where they've put him. I don't know where they laid him. That's why... I'm weeping. Verse 14, when she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus was standing there. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, Jesus was in his glorified body, which also gives us the picture that that these are not the bodies that we're going to have once we die and are resurrected. Jesus had a, had a different look. She didn't recognize him. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, teacher. The way she said it, the way he said it, his authority, his, his tone, when, she, when he says, Mary, she knows it's Jesus. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me for I have not yet descended to the father, but instead we've got work to do. Go to the brethren, go to the disciples and say to them, I have ascended to my father and your father and my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. And so we see that Mary gives this great report now to the disciples. Yes, Peter and John were mystified. Yes, Peter and John weren't fully embracing the belief that Jesus was resurrected yet. Mary believes now. Mary believes. She believes. And she goes with that conviction, with that faith, to the disciples. But the believers are exhibiting unbelief. So the second group we see here now is the disciples. The disciples were afraid. 
We ask, do you believe? Well, did the disciples believe? Verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, why were the doors shut? For in fear of the Jews. Remember, Jesus had just been arrested, had just been crucified by the chief priests, by the leaders of, of the religious Jews. His disciples are scared to death of death, right? They're afraid. So it was evening on the day, on the first day, Jesus and fear of the Jews, they came and, and Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed both his hands and his side to the disciples. Therefore, rejoiced when they saw him. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. And so what just happened here? Well, the disciples are afraid. This powerfully corrupt religious group has them scared to death. Their fear drives their belief. What do you believe? Don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you believe. I don't need you to tell me what you believe. I can see what you believe by what you do. What did the disciples do? They ran and they hid. So one, they didn't really believe Jesus was resurrected. Two, they were more afraid of the, of the Pharisees than looking for Jesus for even the hope or the expectation that maybe in their wildest dreams, he's alive? No, that wasn't on the agenda. Then a really cool thing we learn when we go to Luke 24 and we read Luke 24, 36, and we see Jesus on the road to Emmaus and Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and he's talking to two guys and he's, hey, what's going on? And they're like, you don't know what's going on? Do you not know about Jesus? We just had Passover. We just had crucifixion. Now we, it was crazy, right? And Jesus looks on and says, well, you know everything that they're talking, everything from Genesis to Moses and the prophets, they're, they're talking about me. And they look at him and he starts explaining the scriptures to these guys. And so Jesus is talking to these two guys on the road, telling them how it is. And at that moment, then he disappears. What you don't see here is this is where he appears. He goes from that scene to being in the room, in the midst with the disciples. So again, you're faced with believing. Can God... Can an all-eternal, all-powerful, incarnate God who you can't see come to earth? Yes. We read a lot about that, don't we? Why? So that when we come to this point, we understand. This isn't anything new. Not really. When we read about, you know, Jacob's stairwell, right? Stairway. When, when there's an opening for the angels to come back and forth between earth and heaven. Oh, that's not such a shocking thing 
to believe and understand now, is it? So Jesus then is in the room, and what does he do? But more importantly, why does he do it? Why does he come into the room and have to show his ID? Well, two reasons. One, again, he has a different appearance. His physical appearance is different, except for one thing, the holes in his hand and his side from where he was pierced. Why did Jesus have to do to show them? Why? Because their faith. They were afraid. They weren't fully convicted yet. What is faith? We learn faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It is the, the assurance of things hoped for. I, I love that. That's what faith is. I'm sure of what I'm hoping for. It's the conviction of things not seen. I can't see God. I know he exists. Conviction. How do we know of your conviction? How do we know you really believe? By what you do, not by what you say. Now, here's the awesome part of this. The disciples are afraid. Jesus isn't really concerned with calling them out on that, right? He's not concerned about, hey, where's your faith? Hey, how come you didn't? I told you guys. I told you guys I was going to die and raise again. Come on, be smart. He just rolls right into the mission. The whole reason why I died, the whole reason why I was buried, the whole reason why I rose again was to come, verse 23, to forgive sins. Guys, I need to put you back on track. I need to put you back in the right framework. We have a mission. We have a goal. We have a job. And your job is to now go preach. Go preach. And so he breathes on them. What does he breathe? The Holy Spirit. We read in Ezekiel 36 that God promises a new covenant. Not the stale law. Not not, not the law that was made that you can't keep that just shows that you're, you're, you have flaws, that just shows your sin, that the law doesn't prove your faithfulness and your righteousness. It proves that you're not. And so the old covenant, the Old Testament law that we could not keep, could never keep, and so we had to sacrifice animals for forgiveness of our sin. Well, the Old Testament promises, look, we're going to send you the Messiah, the Christ, He will die. He will be your king. He will pay the price for your sins so that you will have the spirit in you. That's part of the the promise that's going to be coming of the new covenant. And bam, Jesus just died, thus ratifying the new covenant. So we're on a new program here, folks. Remember a couple nights ago when, when... When Passover turned into communion, we're on the program. We're in full gear. And so he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. Why? So that they will be charged to go out and preach the gospel, to preach the forgiveness of sins. That's their job. That's their mission. That's their purpose. In Luke 24, 45, we see that he opens their minds so that they understand the scriptures. And what's the purpose? To 
call for repentance and the forgiveness of sin. We forgive your sin, you repent of your sin. Matthew 28, we see in this encounter is where we see the great commission to go and make disciples, to go and teach, to go and baptize. It's the same event that's taking place right here in John 20. And so the the apostles' mission then is to then go preach the gospel. You can't be afraid. You can't be afraid. See, when we ask the question, do you believe? The disciples were afraid, but it transitions now. These men will from this point forward go and preach the gospel. They believe. They become not afraid. Why are they not afraid? Because now they're true believers. And if they really believed, if they really believed in this event, and if they really believe that Jesus Christ can save man from their sin, then they will be pumped and happy to go preach. Not afraid. And so part of the question we ask is, why aren't we preaching? Why aren't we telling neighbors and friends and family members about the free gift of grace? Are we still afraid? Do we really believe? Well, our final example here is Thomas doubted. Thomas definitely doubted. Verse 24. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore were saying to him, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, look, unless I see his hands in the imprint of the nails and put my fingers into the place of the nails and into his side, I will not believe. Think about it this way. Thomas, disciple, follower of Jesus, at this moment in time is saying, you say Jesus is resurrected. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. The only way I'll believe it, not by my best friends telling me, not by my best friends who t- tell me that Jesus, they saw him and giving testimony and Mary and the girls. No, I have to touch it myself. I mean, this is firm unbelief. <laughs> this is firm doubting. Thomas genuinely, really doubted. Some of us were at that point. Some of us are still at that point. Thomas doubts. He does not believe. Strongly, conviction, does not believe. Verse 26. And after eight days again, his disciples, eight days, eight days later, a week later, his disciples were inside and Thomas was with them and Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. And he looks at Thomas. Reach into this, big boy. Reach here, your finger, and see my hands. And reach here, your hand, and put it into my side. And here it is. And be not unbelieving, but believing. Be not unbelieving, but believing. 
You can't be both. You don't get to hedge on both sides. It's either believing or unbelieving. Real deep. And one of the greatest answers in all of Scripture from the guy who's, unfortunately, his nickname is Doubting Thomas, says this, My Lord, my God. My King, my God. Because only, only God could raise from what I saw. I saw you die. I saw you pierced. I saw you wrapped. I saw the tomb. My King, my God. This is incredible. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me and have believed, blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Did you guys catch that? You're in here. <laughs> if we have any kind of, of camaraderie or, or, or just kind of sense of nostalgia with the apostles, with the disciples, the men who were there. And we know the great things that they go on to do. And they will die for Christ. They will literally physically die and, and, and be martyred for Christ. That's how far their belief goes to. Right? But these guys, Jesus says, because you have seen me and have believed, but blessed are you who believe and have not seen Jesus. But you got to believe. You don't get to see Jesus, but you got to believe. Like these guys believed. And they had a hard time believing. So it's not necessarily that easy. Verse 30, many other signs therefore Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book. What do we have to believe? But these things have been written... Why? Why do we have the Bible? Why do we have this book here? Is it so we can argue with people? No. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn and destroy it and to judge it, but to save it. This book is a blueprint so that we know who God is. So we know who we are in our position with God. God is the creator of the universe. We are the creation. He made us. We didn't make him. There was a plan to redeem us, to save us from our sin. When we break the law, when we disobey, and we do break the law, and we do disobey, and we do it with a willful spirit and a rebellious heart. Yes, we do. But these things have been written. Why? So that you may believe so that you'll believe this this is eyewitness testimony okay this is hundreds of people who have seen the glory of god these are thousands of examples of of written testimony god did not have to give us this god gave us this document so that we will believe but i don't believe show me an example i i got Lots of examples. I, I can go example after example after example, but you got to believe. You got to believe. 
well, I just don't have that strong of faith. You believe George Washington existed? You believe Caesar existed? Okay, Caesar is in the same time frame as Jesus. Okay, Jesus is no myth. Jesus is no fable. Jesus is factual history. Our calendar is guided by when Jesus dies for Pete's sakes. And we've got people saying that he didn't exist. It wasn't real. But this was written so that you'll believe, but more than just believe Jesus was real. If if you don't even understand Jesus was really alive, then I don't know what to say to you. The question is, was he a liar? Because he claimed to be the son of God to save us from our sins. Or he's insane for saying that. Or he is exactly who he said he is. And you need to bow down and worship because he's our Lord and Savior. You may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's Messiah. That's that God King thing. That he is the Son of God. He is part of the triune Godhead. This is what you have to believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And here's the deal, and that believing you may have eternal life in his name. Romans 10, 9 says this, confess with your heart and believe in your mind that Jesus Christ died, buried, and rose again. If you're sitting here today, this is it. This is it in a nutshell. What do I have to believe? You didn't hear anything about smoking. You didn't hear anything about past sins, current sins. You didn't hear any of that stuff. This is what you have to believe, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sin. And in just believing, having that faith, that that assurance, of something not seen, the conviction in your heart, you may have eternal life. And so, Thomas is the model. Because we all go from severe unbelief to that point where we have to say, my Lord, my God. My Lord, my God, that means I follow you. I trust you. I have faith in you, not me. That's what you have to believe. That's what Easter is all about. Easter is all about not just saying the Easter story, but you've got to believe the Easter story. You've got to believe that Jesus died and rose again. In some ways, that's really, really simple. And in other ways, that's a big matzo ball. But that's what you got to believe. That's Christianity. That's Christianity. Let's pray. Lord.